Diversity is not all about racial disparities. It's about bringing a group of diverse individuals to the table. Different voices offer different perspectives on preparedness and how to respond to disasters. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats. From severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Vince Davis. He is the founder and president of Preparedness Matters. Vince, how are you? I'm great, Peter, and thanks so much for having me on your show. Uh, Well, really great to have you on the show today. I appreciate you making the time. And I know our focus today is the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, commonly referred to as DEI, in emergency management. But before we begin, can you give our listeners just a brief overview of your career background? Sure, Peter. Uh, I started emergency management about 20 years ago with FEMA, following a 23-year military career in the U.S. Air Force and the National Guard where I was a public information specialist. After serving several years at FEMA, where I worked on 11 federal disaster responses, I had stops at the American Red Cross as a project lead for a regional catastrophic planning team before moving to the private sector as an emergency manager at Walgreens, Sony, and then Amazon. I left Amazon in early 2021 at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic to join Feeding America, where I'm currently the director of disaster services. Fantastic. That's quite a deep background. Can you tell us just a bit more about your company, Preparedness Matters? What kind of work does the organization do and what are your responsibilities personally? Sure. Well, I'm the founder, president. Uh, We're a very small sort of boutique operation, limited liability company. We're a full service emergency management and media company. We do a wide range of business continuity, community resiliency, work from traditional emergency management planning, training and exercises to projects for custom multimedia services. I started with the company, or started the company actually back in 2012 after launching my first book, Lost and Turned Out, which is a guide to preparing underserved communities for disasters. And at that time, we were mainly doing projects with marginalized communities of color, including doing preparedness planning, disaster literacy training, and advocacy. I've been privileged to work on several projects with indigenous communities. In 2017, I developed the first ever Native Family Disaster Preparedness Handbook and Workshop Curriculum. And we're currently in the process of updating Emergency Guidebook in collaboration with Native Public Media for their 58 radio and television stations that operate within Indian country. More recently, I've also done work with businesses building disaster management frameworks similar to the work that I did at Walgreens, Sony, and at Amazon, but customized to fit the needs of smaller or more medium-sized businesses. That's really neat to be able to bring together such tremendous experience to groups or people that traditionally have just not even thought about this type of stuff or maybe have not taken it to the extent they should have. Yeah, it is. It's been very interesting work. Uh, we, we've enjoyed every bit of it over the last 10 years or so. It's been, uh, it's been quite, a, quite a ride. Well, fantastic. As you just explained, you've worked in emergency management roles in both government and private sector throughout your career. So did your experiences in those roles inspire you to become more involved in engaging underserved or marginalized communities in emergency preparedness? Uh, Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, Peter, as a former military public information officer and, and community relations manager at FEMA, 
The tipping point that sparked my personal commitment to empowering underserved communities was Hurricane Katrina. I was deeply affected by the deaths of the 1,800 people who perished in that devastating disaster and suffered the consequences of displacement and trauma for the people of New Orleans and for that region. And so it became obvious to me that at that point, people needed to become more educated on the nuances of the disaster process to help them make better decisions about their own survival. What I realized is that, you know, although much has been written about the failures of local, state, federal government response in Hurricane Katrina, and there's certainly enough blame to go around, some people actually even blame the media for reporting on the loss of life and suffering. But the bottom line is that the people were completely unprepared to survive. And perhaps more people would have lived had they been empowered with the knowledge and understanding of the real risks they were facing during that, that event. Yeah, you're so right. It's all about, for those at least initial roughly 72 hours, it's it's personal responsibility. You've got to do something. It's going to take time for the government or some other agency to come in, and you've got to be able to handle things for those first two to three days on your own. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's not what people will do. It's what they can do. So ah. people have to be empowered to help themselves as much as possible. And And really, that help comes in the form of knowledge. If you understand what you're facing, you can make good decisions again about your own survival. I often say that a lot of the folks that suffered in New Orleans would have gladly literally walked out of the city if they had no other way to get out had they known the great risk they were facing. Well, what are some of the preconceived notions or myths associated with the disaster process that you want to clarify for the average citizen? Well, first and foremost, people need to clearly understand that that FEMA, that the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is not a response agency. You know, their role is to support the efforts of state and local governments. But the reality is that FEMA is not the savior. They're only an administrator of federal relief funding. You know, the other myth is that having a disaster kit is somehow going to be the answer to being prepared when disaster kits are actually, in my opinion, a preparedness placebo. They've, mm-hmm. They're a convenience item at best, but they will not save your life. I think disaster kits are great. However, they become the mantra that falsely uh, indicates to people that somehow they're prepared if they have these few items in their possession. And that's simply not the case. Mm, That's actually very interesting. It's like a false sense of security that I'll be okay if I just put this kit together and that couldn't be further from the truth. Well, I know you work with uh, both these, the BIPOC communities as well as corporations. Do you see similarities in the challenges that they face or are they really very fundamentally different? Well, they're, they're really quite different. Uh, response and corporate preparedness is a different challenge because most companies have expended enormous amounts of money since, remember, way back in Y2K, uh, mm. 1999, when everybody yeah. thought they were going to lose all their data when the clock struck 12. That's right. <laughs> uh, so companies spent a bunch of money protecting their data systems and backups, but paid little attention at all to workplace and workforce disaster preparedness. That is, how are you going to prepare your people? And how are you going to prepare your facilities to withstand the uh, consequences of a major disaster? So that's all new to the corporate sector. And that's their biggest challenge is that preparedness for employees and their families is just as important as business resiliency. We're now finding that out, of course, with COVID-19, the pandemic. Lots of companies were caught completely flat-footed and unprepared for anything that was going to have this profound an effect on their employees. So it's become painfully obvious that, you know, when it came to employee safety, 
most companies weren't even close to where they needed to be. And quite frankly, many companies are have lost and continue to lose employees because of their lack of support during the, the pandemic. Well, what advice do you have for companies that are trying to both prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace and focus on effective emergency management? Well, I think, in my opinion, at least a lot of your your companies are, are struggling with all of this, you know, because diversity is not all about racial disparities. It's about bringing a group of diverse individuals to the table. Different voices offer different perspectives on preparedness and how to respond to disasters. And so creating a solid culture of preparedness requires that diversity. And companies cannot continue to allow departments or individuals to operate in silos that hinder different perspectives on how to manage workplace and workforce emergencies. An example of this would be, you know, a situation where you have, uh, you know, back in in the early 2000s when I was with FEMA, where we sat down at the table and we reviewed, a group of us reviewed the first drafts of the National Response Framework, what became the National Response Plan. And that was all great, except we were all emergency managers. And so we all came from a place where we all thought the same way. We all heard the same thing. We all believed in the same doctrine that we were creating. But it would have been nice at that time if we'd had some diversity in that place. For example, some folks from human services or some folks from public health who would have given us some very different perspectives on why, in fact, we should not even be pursuing preparedness as part of our mission at FEMA because it was so far out of our realm of uh, capability in terms of changing behavior. FEMA is not a behavior-changing organization. FEMA is an administrative agency that provides funds to respond for disasters. So we kind of overstepped our skis because we didn't have that diversity in the room of, of thought leaders, people who may not necessarily think exactly like us. My brother, who worked in human services for over 40 years for a fairly large city outside of Chicago, once told me, he said, Vince, do you know why we know that Johnny, if he's not reading, or Susie, if she's not reading by grade level by the time they're in third grade, that they stand a 78% chance of going to prison? Mm. Do you know how we know that? Because we research outcomes. Mm. Well, emergency management doesn't research outcomes. Right. We, we know that people aren't prepared for disasters, but we don't really know why, because we haven't studied it properly. We haven't followed it properly. And that's not to say that, you know, that's a bad thing. It's just, it's beyond our capabilities and beyond the scope of our work as emergency managers to change behavior. So we need to get some folks who are really well-versed in that area and get them at the table and let them tell us how to figure out not just what's happening, but why it's happening and how we can course correct and change those behaviors that make people so vulnerable to these uh, these events. Well, a few years ago, you wrote a LinkedIn post about steps to eradicate racism in emergency management. Would you mind just quickly summarizing that for the audience and then providing some key takeaways for them? Sure. You know, first and foremost, Peter, we need to be honest about the lack of diversity in our profession and how it impacts marginalized communities. As I've said before, you know, things like when, you know, they came out with this slogan, it's a public service announcement that said, disasters do not discriminate. I, I just, it was laughable because disasters themselves don't discriminate. And their intent was not to make light of discrimination. It was to point out that disasters are these random events that impact everybody. But guess right. what? They don't impact everybody equally. 
Mm. <laughs> okay. It mm. depends on where you were, as General Honore said uh, at a summit that he spoke at some years ago in, here in Chicago. Whatever you were doing before the disaster is going to affect how it impacts you after the disaster. So disasters, you know, we need to make sure that we understand the impacts on marginalized communities. So the people who are doubters, take any after action review and fill in the blanks because the outcomes are the same. X disaster happened at X time. And oh, by the way, vulnerable people suffered disproportionately. So we need to call out racist and discriminatory policies, actions, and behavior among our ranks. Some of these things are not patently discriminatory or racist. They are institutionally discriminatory and racist. For example, the requirement to have certain people have to provide certain types of documentation before they receive assistance. Well, that doesn't affect everybody. That only affects certain people. So then we must take, make a deliberate effort, Peter, to hire, promote, and mentor uh, Black individuals and, and people of color, Indigenous people, and others, because you know we need to you know, take steps, concrete steps, not just talk about what we need to do. For years, we've been saying, yeah, we need to be more diverse. The question today is not that we need to, it's what are you doing about it? You know, for example, the International Association of Emergency Managers uh, is taking major steps in the direction by doing away with certain educational requirements for certification as an emergency manager. Why? Because they were discriminatory against tribal emergency managers and people with non-United States degrees. So we can't address a problem when 82% of emergency management directors are white and 68% are male. There's too few voices developing and implementing policies which generally respect the needs of white middle-class communities, but not the most marginalized people who will always require more assistance. And we should be trying to make them better and empower them. And we should be trying to make the tent bigger, not smaller. Yeah, you really just, to your earlier points too, just expand the perspective that people bring to the table, expand the bubble. And getting those people at the table, you can't just have them at the table for the sake of appearances. You've got to really listen to what they're saying if you're going to you know, help them. So, you know, I say, remember these things, you know, diversity is a fact. Equity is a choice. Inclusion is an action and belonging is an outcome. Mm, that's great. Well, in your opinion, how can a leadership team be more transformative when it comes to DEI in the workplace? So employees know that it's actionable and it's not just lip service. Well, you know, I think, you know, part of part of how uh, in, in a corporate setting that can be accomplished is it has to start at the top. There has to be a commitment from leadership at the top. And when I say a commitment, you know, everybody comes out with these statements about, you know, diversity and how, how we're going to try to do better. But if you don't have corporate leadership at the top participating in these activities and in these and in these these workshops and in these discussions around diversity, then nothing is really going to change. If leaders are dictating to the rank and file, you need to do this, but they're not following it themselves, then it's really not changing the culture. It's it's just, as you said, it's giving lip service to it. Yeah. So, so I think you're going to have to live it. Look, one of the things that, that I'm most proud of today is I work for an organization in Treating America that, you know, our CEO is, is absolutely 110% committed and was even before it became what I call, you know, immensely popular to diversity and inclusion to the point where she said that diversity, equity, and inclusion are going to be a part of everything that we do, not just of 
this department or this activity or this action, whether it's dealing with donors, whether it's dealing with employees, whether it's dealing with uh, whatever the situation might be, it's going to be done from a, a lens of equity, diversity, and inclusion. That that commitment has to be has to be there for it to work. You can't just have a uh, what I call the equity department, right? That sort of that sort of sits over there and it's like, oh yeah, those folks over there, yeah, they're all about that. It's got to be ingrained and, and and really built into the culture of that organization. And 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 you'll be able to tell nowadays. Uh, the companies and organizations that are doing that and those that are not. They'll be they'll stick out like a sore thumb because it will become obvious uh, just looking at their workforce and and how they do things that they are not necessarily committed to to diversity in the way that they should be. Mm. Well, with that said, we do like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a practical tip or some kind of lesson learned that can take back to their organizations to make an immediate impact. In your opinion, what can the audience do today to diversify their emergency management program? You need to look at it and say, we're intentionally going to diversify our team. Uh, We're going to intentionally go out and get people who don't look like us, don't think like us, and come with a different experience and perspective. Not only are we gonna get them there, but we're gonna listen to what they have to say. We're gonna listen intently, and we're gonna listen with purpose to what they have to say. And then we're gonna take that listening and try as best we can to implement some of those ideas and and some of those themes into our day-to-day practices. I like that approach very much. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, Vincent, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. Well, thank you, Peter. And you know, again, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with your audience. I can't thank you enough uh, for, for allowing me to come and share. Yeah, I'm sure they had a great time listening to this episode. So um, if anyone listening out there has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Well, you can always reach me through uh, my websites. My personal website is www.vincedavis.com. CEM, Vince Davis, CEM Certified Emergency Manager.com. Or you can reach me at www.preparednessmatters.net. I'm also available on LinkedIn, of course, I'm Vincent B. Davis, CEM, MCP, Master Continuity Practitioner. Uh, you can also find out more about our work on Indigenous communities at www.thenativefamilydisasterhandbook.com. Excellent. Well, Thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. 
Until next time.